This is The Stateless Man for the pursuit of individual liberty beyond arbitrary borders, oppressive governments, and myths of national obligations. If you value liberty and are willing to migrate and vote with your feet, you've come to the right place. This is The Stateless Man, and it's my pleasure to be with you broadcasting from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We are pursuing liberty beyond borders, that is international living, financial independence, and personal sovereignty. And the show is sponsored by AMTG Solutions. That's amtgs.com. They do digital media services, so if you want to get a website rolling, be sure to go to amtgs.com. And I am... uh, you know, I'm always excited about the guests that I get on, and it seems like every week I outdo what I anticipate. And I've got just an, an incredible array of guests, an international array uh, lined up today, and you don't want to miss out. First up, we're going to have Paul Wilson of LibertyBlog.org. He is going to explain a recent article on why partisanship, why this blind allegiance to some political party impedes your clear thinking and it's he's got a great article on that topic and it's been uh, very popular over the last few days so i'm i'm pleased that he gave he's going to give this morning to chat about it and be, you can be sure you can always call in 1-800-313-9443 if you want to ask a question or make a comment i'm glad uh, to, to have the uh, input of listeners it's 1-800-313-9443 so after that, we've got Ryan Elson discussing the Freeman movement up in Canada. That is what we might describe as an agorist movement, basically getting out of the formal economy or the, I'm not sure whether that is the best term, but getting going into, you could say, gray market activity and almost renouncing participation in systems of taxation and regulation uh, that have been put there to control and enslave you. Uh, to steal your labor. Then in the second hour, we're going to have Wolf von Leer. He is, I think he's over in England right now, but he is uh, a widely traveled man. Uh, he's with European Students for Liberty, and he's written about how this prison, prism scandal and these divisions between governments, uh, they are problems because they may get in the way of free trade. And as as a man of believing in liberty beyond borders, I really want to see free trade across nations, and we, we're going to discuss the implications of those conflicts and with the threats they pose to um, to yeah the free flow of goods, which bring us all, all uh, greater selection and, and prosperity. And then in the final half, I'm going to have Tom Bell. He is a law professor based out in California, and he is an expert on the special development regions or the startup cities idea and he is uh, going to explain why he is promoting that or researching it and i think he has a very sharp mind so if you if you're curious about the prospect of startup cities these new jurisdictions with a clean slate basically which i think is just, are just an amazing idea i don't have a lot of patience for incremental and piecemeal steps towards liberty i want to see some real changes and he's going to tell you about uh, what those may be. So let me get Paul 
Wilson added to the call. He is um, based up near D.C., and uh, like I said, the article is um, Partisanship Makes You Stupid, and I'm going to post it on the, on the Facebook page. The website of The Stateless Man is just thestatelessman.com, and the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash thestatelessman, and I'll bring this one up. He... Uh, uh, during the break, I'm going to post that article on the Facebook page. So if you want to go to Facebook.com, you, you can see it. Facebook.com forward slash The Stateless Man. Yeah, Paul is with LibertyBlog.org, and I know the founder, the two founders of that website, uh, they are based in the D.C. area, and it has a, quite a variety of content, you could say, with more of the um, more of the uh, conservative libertarian bent, which is, fits right well with RBN listeners. Now, uh, Paul, just just easy with the hands there. We've got some background noise going on. Okay, but, we'll do. But, yeah, but so this is Paul Wilson of LibertyBlog.org, and you you also write for CatholicGreyMatters.com, correct? Mm, correct. Yes. So thanks so much for coming on uh, the Republic Broadcasting Network and the Thank Stateless you for having Show. Me. Right now, this article you you wrote mm-hmm. got a whole bunch of attention this week. Why do you think? Um, people responded so much to it. Uh, people respond to it because it's so evident. I mean, there, you you see things like uh, people, the pro celebrity, for example, celebrities in Syria. Uh, how no one speak, how there's less speaking out on Syria, for example, uh, and how. Whereas in 2003, there's a lot of protest against the Iraq war. Suddenly it disappears, and suddenly it disappears with Syria. Uh, you, see other, you see other examples. Uh, basically, the reason why I wrote this article, uh, the idea for this article came, a friend, of, a friend I follow on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. basically posted on Rubio, uh, posted on Rubio in immigration reform. And she she posted, and I quote, uh, because he he decided to work with Republican or decided to work with Democrats, I quote, kissed his political career goodbye. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's that kind of thing that it's that kind of thing, which is just against common sense, against reason. And it's not it's so it's. It's increasingly evident in our political dialogue, so that's why I wrote it. And mm. yeah, so I think that's why it got so much attention. Yeah, it, it's funny; it's like the elephant in the room. But I guess the people who are so tied up within political parties don't realize it because they're surrounded with other—I'm uh, not sure what the, the yes men or other loyalists mm-hmm. don't realize that people outside of the sphere think it's ridiculous. Well, in the in the short term, okay, in the short term. Attacking your enemy as much as possible, negative campaigning as much as possible works. Uh, because if you don't do it, the other guy's going to do it. It's a classic pl- prisoner's dilemma. If sure. you don't attack your enemy, other uh, your enemy will attack you, and basically you won't have a chance to respond while your enemy is telling you, "Oh, you're the blah blah blah. You're evil. You're kill k- kids. You push, uh, you push grandmothers off cliffs, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. <laughs> but I mean, no, was, seriously, because that was actually that was actually. Oh, yeah, just just all the hyperbole people can muster. It's almost it's almost debilitating to one's integrity, or it's it's so belittling 
to think that we we are that dumb to to buy such trash. But okay, welcome, so I'm sorry. Welcome to the world of politics. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, so this yeah, this article did get a lot of attention, and I'll just give you one story from back when I was in New Zealand. Okay. And at one time, I had a curiosity that I might run as a candidate, and one party actually offered me a, a position, a, a candidacy to oh, run. Wow. Run. Yeah, they were really eager to have me, and I was 25 at the time. And I just thought, man, I'm just not old enough and not experienced enough. I didn't, I wouldn't know what I was doing, and I'd just be falling on the sword for a party because I'd, I'd just make a fool of myself. But in hindsight, that probably wasn't the case. That I see, I see so many young politicians who don't know what they're doing, and they seem to get elected. <laughs> but um, sorry, sorry, we were actually approaching the break, so I'm I. We will have to, go to wait until the ne- next one to get to the next question. But I'll just say that if you want to follow, if people want to follow this this article, have a read of this article, go to facebook.com forward slash the stateless man. I'm posting a link to it right now. We're speaking with Paul Wilson. If you've got a question, you can call in at 1-800-313-9443. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. We're pursuing liberty beyond borders. I am speaking with the author of the article, Partisanship Partisanship Makes You Stupid. Uh, that is Paul Wilson. If you've got a question or comment on this, call into 1-800-313-9443. Uh, and it's my pleasure to be speaking with him. I just told him during the break that I thought this was just a great article. And I wanted to finish one of the stories that I had from back in New Zealand just to sort of lean into this as to why this um, caught my attention. And... When I was in New Zealand and I was looking, considering whether to get involved in politics and on a personal level to actually run, run, run as a candidate, uh, one of the local members of parliament, like a congressman or equivalent, he said to me, well, in New Zealand we have two major parties and then a bunch of smaller ones, and he said, just join one or the other of the two major parties oh, and never leave. Oh, boy, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he said, never leave, because if you do, everybody in your previous party will trash you, regardless of whether you, whether your values are the same or whether you have the same policies. They'll trash you, and the people in the new party won't trust you. And I just thought, what is this? I thought, what, are the, what is this weird tribe-like mentality? Ah <laughs> uh, well, it's unfortunate. It's fallen human nature, unfortunately. Yeah, and but but so you explain it. So how does this actually impede your thinking? Well, basically, you you think certain things should be done. You think cer- you think the world should work a certain way. So anything that doesn't fit in with your worldview gets trashed. Uh one one of the com- one of the commenters actually linked to a study uh, by a guy from Yale, uh, Dan Kahan, I believe is his name. Sure. And basically, he linked to that study, and he's showing how pe- people have uh, when people's political when people's political views come into the equation, uh, they act their math skills become dumber because they're trying to they're, they're trying to Argue. They're trying to argue against. Uh, they're they're trying to 
reconcile something which conflicts with their worldviews, uh, and they just can't. It's harder to do it. I mean, you can you can do it, but it's much harder to do so. So, right. Well, I w- yeah, I'm trying to think how to put this together. It's true that well, this is the this is the biggest challenge I have. Let me let me let me put it this way. Okay. When I when I first arrived in the United States, I was very familiar with Ralph Nader, and he was you could say my gateway drug into understanding the U.S. political system. And I went through the third party debates, lost right. them. And I I I went to college in Boston, so I got to know all these you could say Democratic activists and the anti-war movement. Mm-hmm. And the you can see the, the viciousness towards uh, George Bush, and I guess I shared a lot of that uh, discontent. Mm-hmm. And then, as many people have noted, you see how almost nothing has changed in the country over the last, you could say, six years or whatever during a Democratic administration. And yet, it, in terms of the rhetoric, it's almost as though the country's changed enormously. That for whatever reason, people are very selective with their criticism, what they talk about. It's as though I don't want to criticize my king, but the king of the other party, he's he's fair game. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, why would that be? What is going on? Well, uh, if if your king supposed or your king or your leader supposedly supports uh, your ideals. You're not going to want to criticize them, but but, it hurt. but they know. don't. But yeah. but you know, but you and I know that that's just not the case. That on all, all, all basically all the major issues, the candidates uh, fall in line. There are some exceptions. There such, are a few exceptions, but yeah, people like maybe Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul, but almost all of them. Are, it's hard to distinguish what exactly the difference is. Yeah, it's get it's getting harder is the thing. I mean, for goodness' sake, the Republicans nominated Romney, who's the grand, the, the, the grandfather of Obamacare, as they, I mean, or, or it, Romney Care, right? Right, Romney Care. I mean, it, it's. But and yet, but yet, the the rhetoric would suggest that the other mm-hmm. people are just evil, even though to us or to me, they're almost indistinguishable. Yeah, uh, they're de- indist- I wouldn't say indistinguishable. I would say getting closer. Uh, sure. In, I mean, there's. All you can really do is point out the facts, and eventually pe- people will either wise up or they'll just be like, you know what, uh, we don't care, we're not going to listen to you no matter what. For Yeah, I mean, it's... What, how, how, given your observation as work, mm-hmm. we don't have to mention the organization, but given your observation working in, you could say, a partisan uh, organization... Mm-hmm. And you've taken away that you you just thought that this sort of tribal approach was was detrimental to one's just clear straight clear thinking. Mm-hmm. Do you then avoid such groups, or how do you approach the matter? Well, what I mean it de- it depends from person to person. Uh, if you if different people are more susceptible to this than others, I I tended to be more susceptible to this, so I got out of it because i mean but cer- certain people can keep their heads certain people can keep their heads straight and good for them if they can do it if you if you can keep your head straight if you can point out uh how if you can point out fallacies in other people's positions without demonizing the other person great i mean go do it but i i i, I can speak for me personally i tend to get caught up in that kind of thing mm. so in that case 
just take a step back or at least be very careful in examining your own positions for right uh launching into i mean but i'm not i'm not saying don't hold your positions i'm just saying be careful when you speak because you don't want to attribute motives to others or attribute motives to your allies that are yeah well, uh, one of the strange things to me is just the way that maybe this is just human nature but mm-hmm. people love the gossip the demonization and I, I use Reddit a lot, and there are different. I don't know. If whether, I don't know whether people listening use Reddit.com. I recommend it. And there's actually an article on thestatelessman.com mm-hmm. uh, about us. If you just look up Reddit, there you can get it. I'll, I'll post it on the. Well, Facebook you have a page. you have a followers page, right? Yeah, you you have your own followers page. I've there. got multiple. Uh, oh wow! I've, yeah. got, I've started lots of lots of different pages within within Reddit, but I just note that, for example, there is a conservative. Page and half of it will just be attacks on Obama. I'm just thinking, is this really productive activity, attacking a person rather than actual policies or news? But for whatever reason, that just that people just enjoy it. I don't. I don't. Well, it does. The one the one thing about it is it does fire up your base. If you say uh, Obama is evil because he does ex- because his policies will harm the country in ten to twenty years, mm. you're not going to necessarily get a lot. But if you say Obama is going to destroy the country, blah, 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 um, because he's evil, et cetera, et cetera. Then you'll get a, it, urgency pushes, urgency makes pop, fires up your base. It gets it, but the problem is it also turns off the middle. So it's, you, right. you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to balance dealing with your base and dealing with, uh, middle. We so have, we have about a minute to play with, Paul. So okay. you, you write for libertyblog.org and. Yes. CatholicGreyMatters.com? What is the other one? Uh, Catholic Grey Matters, I, I'm a Roman Catholic. I write on religious questions a lot, but I also write on like political question, political questions as well. I wrote, like for example, my most recent two articles are about Syria and how uh, the war in Syria is, uh, the intervention in Syria is crazy. Mm. So it, it's, that, it's that kind of thing. But I, I just write, and for Catholic Grey Matters, I just kind of write what I want. Uh, right. There's more of a religious bent to it. Uh, LibertyBlog.org is more politics. Uh, I, heart, I heartily recommend anyone who uh, you can, to, you can, to take a look at that. Yeah, you, you can hear the music playing. Paul, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure whether the we drum, addressed, the, I don't know if, whether we addressed the, the content well enough, but I w- the article is posted on the Stateless Man on facebook.com forward slash the stateless van and we'll post a link to your twitter account as well so thanks for coming on okay oh thanks for having me stay with us folks this is the stateless van welcome back to the stateless van this is your host fergus hodgson and we just finished speaking with paul wilson who's written for liberty blog uh, that's libertyblog.org. And <clears throat> there's, up next we have um, what, what I might call a, an ongoing concern to me or basically an, exe- an investigation of a topic that has been in and out of my mind for many years. And I examined it when I was in New Zealand. And this is, and, and here in the United States, this is what you might call, what well, in the United States people often call the state national or sovereign citizen movement or patriot movement or whatever it may be, but basically people who 
renounce or cut ties with the federal government. And there's a very similar movement in Canada, which they call the Freeman Movement. And actually, this has got some press attention. And recently, a, a bunch of prominent newspapers covered it, not to give it any good press, but basically to mock it and warn people to stay away. This is dangerous. Uh, but I think that was um, unfortunate because it didn't really address the reasons why this is such a popular and rising um, rising movement. They, they mentioned something, something, some number of people around 30,000 in Canada are calling themselves Freeman and renouncing their relationship with Canada's federal government, or at least the corporate entity. Now, I fished around and found an article responding to it on dissembling.org. This is Freeman on the Land Hit Piece by Propagandized Media Outlets. And this is an important article which cuts right through the folly in the major outlets who... I guess they're just unsettled or afraid that people might get out from this all-encompassing collectivist system. And I'm saying, great. I remember, I remember years ago when I was in a political science class back in New Zealand, one of the discussion leaders or teaching assistants said, well, what? Let, let's get, let's get this, this discussion started. What would you want from government? And I just said, look, just give me a way to opt out. I don't want your silly game. And here people are trying to do it. Uh, we have a, a man who comments frequently on the Libertarian Party of Canada Facebook page and has written this article on dissembling.org. His name is Ryan Elson, and he's over in Vancouver Island. So, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problems. Uh, always glad to share the message of freedom with uh, uh, my fellow human beings because uh, ultimately, I mean, as I step back and I have a good look at what's going on in this world today, I'm, I'm finding that uh, uh, people need a really good dose of uh, uh, liberty to correct many of the problems that are going on today. It has just gotten so far, gone so far. That's the the, the, the thing that I tr- struggle to reconcile or, or integrate, that when I was growing up, I never imagined a world as bu- bureaucratized or controlled as the one that exists. And I guess I'm still trying to come to grips with that. I'm still trying to accept that I might have to submit to so, so much largesse, so much wealth redistribution, so much social control. And that's why I sympathize with people who are trying to find a way out. Why don't you explain to people what this Freeman movement is, uh, and what you know what the tactics are? What exactly for people for people who haven't who haven't heard the term? Um, well, basically, what it is is, uh, um, uh, and it, going right back to its roots, uh, one of the major founders of the Freeman movement uh, here in Canada was uh, a guy who goes by the name of uh, Rob Menard. And uh, what Rob Menard was uh, saying online seemed to make a lot of sense to people that we should fall back on uh, common law and uh, uh, use that as a means or a way of living and uh, uh, for that lifestyle because obviously we don't want things to fall apart and turn into something that's utterly lawless. So um, common law seems to be a great place to start. 
Mm. Now, I called it a place to start because, um, obviously, it's a little bit old world and uh, um, it isn't necessarily 100% uh, of a perfect fit for uh, this day and age because um, common law was designed <clears throat> back when we had, you know, papers for everything and uh, 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 we have lengthy court procedures that are just a fantastic waste of people's time. Mm. And it's not really as uh, uh, common sense driven as it ought to be, but it's more common sense driven than our presently lunatic system that uh, we we all pay our uh, taxes to. Right, and I'll say that you actually use the term designed, but if I may interject a little bit there, one of the reasons why common law is superior is that it isn't necessarily designed, that basically it was the gradual emergence or evolution of law over many generations uh, or the refinement of it with no one person uh, designing or planning it. It was, you could say, a, 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 a joint effort. Um, but what particular aspects of the common law, one, were, are or were superior and actually apply, still apply or are relevant, applicable in Canada? Um, well, our Canadian system is actually uh, uh, based on uh, British law, mm. and uh, so uh, one of the very uh, core foundations of the law is common law. I mean, a, a lot of our law revolves around the concept of uh, uh, do no harm to others. I mean, if you really want to boil it down to its simplest terms. Sure. Um, so we have, like, uh, we have our, our foundation of law, which is, you know, where it came from and uh, how it got eventually refined and um, uh, boiled down to the point where uh, people started assembling society and a civil society and being able to, like, actually live with each other. Because, I mean, before before that, society was, like, basically ran by uh, warlords and barbarians, right? I gotcha. But, so, yeah, so in Canada, there is still this common law base or you could say oh absolutely and and on our court documents we can even cite that as a uh, uh, reference to uh, any laws that we we would like to argue in court um so if if i use it uh, as a reference on court forms and i've got a book full of court forms because i got a court case at the moment but uh uh using a, a common law is actually uh something that uh, the courts do tolerate and accept mm Let's clarify then for people who are wanting, still wanting what exactly, where, where you're leading, where one leads with this uh, approach. One of the, this guy, Robert Menard, he stated publicly many, on many occasions, and probably still does, that unless you have Canada's equivalent to a social security number, which is a social insurance number, you are not liable to pay income tax. He said, basically, if you don't have one, there's absolutely no way they can tax you in that manner. <laughs> um, that's a little bit off, um, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, when when you use uh, the system's instruments, that's that's money, right? Mm. Every time you spend their money, you're engaging in a, a contractual agreement, right? What, what contractual that's, agreement? Well, I mean, if you look at the money in the U.S., for example, it says in God we trust, right? And so the contractual agreement there would be in between you and God, and the state considers themselves God. 
Slow down. No, but I'm, I'm just saying to you that I've seen Robert Renard speak on many occasions, and he has said explicitly that if you don't have a social insurance number, there's no way they can tax you. They have no me mechanism to tax your income. Well, I mean, that's been tried in courts um, where freemen have uh, avoided taxes. And uh, so, like, you have a freeman that makes $50,000 a year or something, and he's trying to get away with not paying taxes. And so he'll be guilt found guilty of tax fraud more often than not. Mm. I mean, I, I don't really know of anybody who's successfully argued their way out of it. But that's because he's making $50,000. If if you're not making that in cash, if you're making under poverty line in cash, or you're just, you know, you just get what you need to scrape by, there's nothing that they can take from you. They can't take your, your the roof over your head, and they can't take the food off your table. Yeah, but that doesn't sound like a terribly enticing existence. I mean... That, so, but, so basically, in order to live this way, you've got to accept a, 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 a level of poverty? Um, or you accept the risks. For, for the freemen of the land who, uh, are willing to get their, uh, get hauled in court for tax evasion, mm. um, if they make a lot of money like this, right, then, um, that's their risk, right? And they'd better be willing to get challenged on it and argue it out in court. Otherwise, I mean, there are consequences, right? So it's a very serious decision that one must make in their life. And it's not an easy one either. I mean, functioning without a social insurance number is very difficult to do in this country. Brian. Yeah, this it has a lot of, uh, Relate, it, it correlates very well of, it's very similar to the movement or you, against the income tax in the United States and just hold there. We, we gotta go to a break. Uh, this is the stateless man. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. We're speaking with Ryan Allison up in uh, Victoria or on Vancouver Island, Canada, about the Freeman or Freeman on the Land movement up there and, and that, you could say, strategy of opting out or at least attempting to of this all-encompassing nanny state or, or controlling state. I'm not sure how you want to best describe it, but one which is invasive and redistributionist uh, in many, many ways. And this is a very difficult road to go because, as he explained, one pretty quickly ends up in court if, you, if you're making any decent living. Now, Ryan, if I can bring you back on, I just want to give you a little bit of context for how I came across this idea when I was living in New Zealand because we have a similar legal history, uh, not somewhat similar given that we're part of the British, British Commonwealth as well back there. I heard these stories that people would, one, not pay income taxes and drive without licenses and exempt themselves from many of the requirements. And naturally, I was curious. And I did a little bit of digging, and I found some people who could speak with me about it. I went to their place to chat with them, and I'll just say this. It wasn't pretty. These people, they, these people weren't freer than me. They weren't happy. They were in court all the time. They had constant battles with the police and do you want to speak to that? Do you want to speak to the challenges that many of the freemen uh, face? 
Well, uh, my my own personal opinion is that uh, for the first 30,000 people that joined the movement, that would have been an extremely difficult thing for them to do. What do you mean? Obviously, well, I mean, the early adopters of this kind of an ideology, um, they're basically fighting the system. The system does not want to be uh, rendered obsolete. Mm. So it's going to make as many people's lives miserable uh, or as miserable as possible to make sure that you know, the movement stamped out before it gets too big. Um, what the state is aiming for is uh, what appears to be a function of total control. And ultimately, when you think about human nature, um, humans don't want to be caged up and uh, told what to do for every minute of their lives. So um, for me, it's a natural decision. I don't care how hard it is to function um, without uh, feeding the big uh, beast that uh, calls itself uh, everyone's god, um, I'm not going to do it because I don't want some invasive micromanaging tyrant um, telling me that uh, uh, I have to do its bidding all the time. Mm. I don't want it either. I'm just trying to work out how can I best be a free person. And that was my concern. It just wasn't a pretty picture. And I can't... Well, it it, yeah. it doesn't need to be a pretty picture, but what what people need to do is uh, the, a lot of what the law rests upon as well is uh, um, uh, the entity known as God, right? And so who 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 is going to be our God ultimately? Is it going to be this like state? Is it going to be the United Nations? Is it going to be ourselves? Are we going to take ourselves on the journey um, uh, into the future? Um, as individuals, right? And it seems almost every uh, every uh, entity put there, every organization, uh, the places that you work at, your like the whole system, every tentacle of it, it seems to be driven towards this collectivist thing. Mm. Well, um, I mean, as an individual, I have no problems with certain collectivist uh, proposals, right? But I want to be asked uh, if I'm going to participate in those things, right? So if somebody comes to my door and knocks on it, and says, hey, um, we need bombs for the war on Syria. Well, guess what? My door is getting slammed shut right away because I don't uh, <laughs> believe in that kind of... Yeah. Um, I don't believe in it, right? And so, I mean, the, the only way to really actually slam your door in their faces is to make sure that they don't get your dollars because what, what that money is is it's an instrument um, uh, designed to facilitate theft. It's designed to leverage... Uh, resources, labor, um, things out of you, and it doesn't have to be a fair transaction. Right. I'll just say to people, if you want to call in, uh, you can do so at, let me get that number here, it's 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. If you have a question about the Freeman on the land. And there is a, a book I, I know the author of this. I'm going to have to look this one up. And it, it's basically a discussion of the 16th Amendment and the income tax in the United, United States. There is a legislator, Mike Hart, who's written a book, Constitutional Income, Do You Have Any? So there are people in the United States who seek to opt out as well. What relationship does the Freeman movement have with, you could say, state nationals or sovereign citizens in the United States? Well, um, there obviously isn't too much difference uh, in between the two. I actually, uh, to be honest, I think uh, Rob Menard got a lot of his ideas from um, the uh, er early adopters of uh, uh, P 
people who are just trying to avoid the IRS. And that's because naturally here in Canada, we get charged way more tax than um, uh, people in the States do. Uh, we have our uh, uh, health care system, and that's their excuse to uh, come in and take more than 50% to the fruits of your labor. Uh. Which, um, which uh, in any sensible terms is completely unreasonable. It, uh, stifles opportunity. And, uh, it's, is basically the simplest, uh, most, uh, 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 cleanest explanation as to why our lives are being rammed by corporations and, uh, we feel powerless to do anything about it. Yeah, it is just so unfortunate because it's not a, it's not a world that I want to live in. I don't want to live in a world where other people are going to take half of your money. I just can't, be- I can't believe that we've come to accept such an existence that that is somehow tolerable. I find it to- completely intolerable and want to find some way out of it. That's why I'm so sympathetic. Now, I have worked with a variety of think tanks across Canada. And I guess they are part of the system to some degree, that they've got their non-profit status and they are almost on, I don't want to say say this completely, but they're somewhat on the trough. You know, they're, they're part of, part of the, the problem at times. Have any policy institutes or think tanks given the Freeman movement the time of day? Oh, no. <laughs> Heck no. Um, most of these uh, uh, policy-based uh, organizations, um, mm-hmm. NGOs, and uh, 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 like the, the, all of them are on the attack. Um, they, they, the last thing they want is mm-hmm. for people to take care of themselves. Uh, and I've noticed this because, I mean, even if you look at the what policy... About, what, what about the pro-liberty ones, like the Fraser Institute? The Fraser Institute, um, they seem to have some pretty good ideas, but, uh, I've noticed, uh, in, uh, there's a lot of illusion in, um, uh, organizations that are out there that are established and mm. that, uh, uh, register with the system that, uh, they're either a charity or registered non-governmental organization of sorts. Um, it seems like, uh, what the government has done and uh, if if they're a smart government and they know that they're going to be obsoleted one day, um, they would go out and establish uh, organizations of their own <clears throat> to misdirect the movements that would uh, organically rise, rise up against a system like this. And uh, they would uh, just build up membership and misdirect people the wrong, uh, t- towards the wrong goal. And that, and that's how you see the think tank realm as somewhat of a distraction. Totally, yes. There's uh, there uh, more than half of it's a distraction, I would say, because I mean, if you look at the structure of uh, uh, like how uh, a lot of uh, grassroots movements have been rising up, um, you you'll find that uh, they've been exploitative of social media online and that it didn't happen by accident it was planned the whole like right from beginning to end right we've got a we're in the final minute i'll just say that if if people want to follow your work the best place is to go to dissembling.org that's d-i-s-s-e-m-b-l-i-n-g.org do you have any other websites that you work on 
Um, no, that's just it. And basically, uh, 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 what I, the theme of the site is to expose corruption. But also, um, it isn't just common law that people need to figure out. People need to be multidisciplinary and uh, uh, they need to um, uh, figure out ways of uh, making a modern life. Okay, we're gonna have to, I'm going to have to cut you off there. I'm sorry. We're hard against the break. Stay with us, folks. Just the facts, man. Welcome back to The Stateless Man. This is your host, Fergus Hodgson, and I'm so pleased to be uh, speaking with you from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Beautiful place. I'm right near the beach. I'm going to be heading out there after this. And uh, But at the same time, I'm loving the opportunity to speak with so many fascinating and informative guests. Uh, we just got done speaking with, um, let me get his name. He was from Canada, up R- Ryan Elson. And he has given uh, an expert on the, you could say, the Freeman movement in Canada, similar to the sovereign citizen movement in the United States, a, uh, an effort to go back to uh, common law and a much more limited scope of government. Um, but uh, that comes with many challenges. And I just noted that my own concern is that there may be uh, legal recourse to common law but if the population, the, the the vast majority of people in Canada or the United States and the political class have no patience for it, they're not going to tolerate it. And that's where I think these, uh, how can I describe it, these campaigns fall down. And that's why when I was in New Zealand, I went and met a bunch of people who were doing the same thing. And like I said, it wasn't a pretty sight because they spent half of their lives in court they weren't freer than me, and they were not prosperous at all. So I, I just, I guess I, I want to share, I want to sympathize with these people and their concerns, but at the same time express um, not concerns about their desires or motives, but about the actual effectiveness of this way of, of going about life. And, yeah, so if you want to, learn more about it, go to facebook.com forward slash the stateless man. Uh, before I get to the guest for this half hour, I should note the sponsor for this hour is the International TEFL Academy. And if you, so if you want to teach English abroad, which is a great way to get out of the country if you're struggling to, you're scratching your head, your head as to how you can do that. It's very cheap and easy to get registered, licensed as a teacher of English. And you can do that with the International Table Academy. Go to radioita.com. That's radioita.com. And just tell them the stateless man sent you, and you'll get a $50 discount off the um, initial program uh, to get yourself, get your, get your registration or qualification to do so. And they, they offer full mentoring throughout the process, so they'll get you from A to B to actually teaching abroad and earning a living, which is great. Now, in my travels in the liberty movement uh, i bump into many people and one that has stood one who has stood out to me is uh, has the name wolf von Leer. i don't know how to pronounce Leer, but i guess he'll explain in a second but uh he is all over the place he has lived in turkey argentina the united states germany the uk and spain he's published a book 
on the problems with central banking and free banking as an alternative. He is, let me get his, more of his bio, he is the European Program Director with Students for Liberty or the European Students for Liberty component. And he's also completing a PhD in political, political economy at King's College in London. Uh, and I've been wanting to get Wolf on for a while. We just haven't had the, the sort of fitting topic, but he's just written an article recently that I thought compelled interest, particularly this side of the, of the um, ocean of the Atlantic. He's over in the UK right now. And we're going to address free trade and the, the, con- the counterpart to that, which is protectionism, and how that relates to PRISM and the spying program that the U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies have going. So, Wolf, please share how I should pronounce your name, and thanks for coming on uh, the, Republic, Republic, the Republic Broadcasting Network and The Stateless Man. Uh, hey, Fergus, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on your show. I think you pronounced my name fine. It's uh, Wolf von La, so uh, perfect. Um, many other people make any more mistakes with that. Thanks no, for having me. No, it's, it's really my pleasure, and I, I'll tell you that Sometimes I get a bit down about the prospects for liberty in this world. I think, man, things are going downhill or whatever it may be. But when I go to events such as the Students for Liberty events and I see people like you and lots of the, lots of this, these young, smart advocates, I just, I get optimism. I, I, my optimism grows rapidly because I'm just so impressed with the, how slick, informed, confident this new generation of liberty minded people are. And or is and so. Let let me get back to your article though, because this is where what I wanted to lead into. You wrote on the 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 crossover or the challenge when when international conflicts or disputes get in the way of free trade, and in this case, the most recent one is Prism or the spying program from the, from the NSA and also the British intelligence spying program. And how this is getting in the way of the TTIP or the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, which is a proposed free trade agreement. Sometimes I don't like to give the term free trade to these agreements because they seem to be, there seems to be so much cronyism within them. But do you want to just clarify for people, you could say the topic sentence or the key theme of this article? Yes, uh, it's, primarily about that political leaders in different countries should not use other disputes like PRISM um, to infringe upon like the right of people to trade with each other voluntarily. For mm-hmm. instance, we had political leaders from Germany like Pierre Steinberg, he is now a chancellor candidate in the next election. He said that basically PRISM should be used as a political leverage, uh, not PRISM should be used, but because of PRISM, the current negotiations on free trade should be used as a political leverage um, mm-hmm. to just froze them and then prevent, like, basically 800 million people from trading more freely with each other, which I think is grossly negligent and very, very dangerous. Yeah, it is. I'll say one thing that stood out for me from this article was the way that you said that 95% of economists, and I guess one can define economists in different ways, but presumably those are all the PhD economists, people with PhDs in the, in the United States, agree that tariffs and quotas decrease standards of living. Given the enormous, that's a, an, an astoundingly high proportion 
of any for any topic, uh, given economists, given that it's a fragmented field. Why is all this protectionism so still so popular? That's a very good question, and one would hope that mercantilism, the ideas behind protecting mm. one's economy, should have died out a long time ago. But it's still very prevalent. On the other hand, fortunately, the tariffs between the U.S. and Europe, are, or the EU, are fairly low at the moment. It's between three and five percent between most goods. So that's a good thing. So they have lowered it. Mm. But I think the answer to your question, Fergus, is that everybody would benefit, but they don't know it. They don't see it. They cannot. They don't have it tangible. But people who are lobbying for protectionism, like big corporations who yeah. go to government and selling, oh, can you not give me like a little bit of regulation here and there so that foreign competitors cannot go into my market, they have very tangible benefits and a vested interest in that. And that is the reason why we still see protectionism, non-tariff regulation and subsidies that much because people like politicians and the corporations benefit directly from it and the Actually. consumers don't. Right, that's that's an excellent explanation. It's it's this disparate um, cost benefit where you have a t you know the targeted benefits in a very disparate or dispersed um, cost. And just this past week, on I edited a site panampost dot com, and we had an article discussing the union uh, strikes in Colombia. And someone said in the comments, "I do not see how a certain degree of protectionism is counterproductive to the development of ta of, of a nation." Tariffs, restricted investment, etc., were used extensively by the United States and Britain as their industries developed. Uh, protectionism, was, protectionism was also employed by recent successful states such as South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan. We are hard against the break, but I want you to respond to that one once we once we come back. So stay with us, folks. This is the Stateless Man. Welcome back to the Stateless Man, where, we're, where we are pursuing liberty beyond borders. And I've got a very good friend, uh, Wolf von Laar, on the line. He is over in the UK right now, where he's completing a PhD in political economy. And he is from Germany originally. He's another fellow world traveler. And I just mentioned to him that this week on the Pan Am Post or panampost.com, we had an article both in Spanish and English on the strikes in Colombia and what next and what these strikes are doing. And they are, the key arguments are basically against uh, free trade. And we've got uh, the, the arguments in that the unions are arguing for uh, closed down trade or barriers to trade. And the writer on the Pan Am Post was saying that's a bad idea and would impede development. And a whole bunch of angry comments were <laughs> below the article. One of them was saying how the U.S. and the U.K. use tariffs extensively in their development. And I wanted to say, I wanted Wolf to take that, to uh, respond to that question or that, that challenge to the view that free trade is a good thing. Yes, so the most important thing to point out here is that these countries became rich not because of the protectionism, but in spite of it. So they had in many other areas, they allowed free trade and they allowed free trade within the country so that people mm. can finally produce values, produce goods and share that with the other. It was less rigid and that's how they became rich and it's a matter of free of course because they were, were never in the history of mankind like a completely free market. Government always interfered with that 
but this is not like a sufficient argument to say like look because they did it that's the reason why we are rich that is a false dichotomy yeah and, and I, I would, right okay sorry continue and i would also add that if of course if you're helping like young industry to flourish and invest like so much taxpayers money into it at some point yes they will be competitive because you pump so much money in it but that doesn't say if it's like the most or the best way you could use goods and, and not yeah exactly when you pump money in obviously that comes at a cost that at somewhere down the line that debt is going to burden you uh, so the, the it's just the unseen effect at the time and with it the the, the 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 example of the United States is not a good one because the country is so vast and it has free trade within it across all the states that it's almost a, a, an example for free trade because all the states do have free trade uh, across them that they're they have open borders now we do have a caller on the line I want to get to him so we have um, what is his name here it is art on line two art do you have a question or comment for wolf um, good morning gentlemen um, actually no Ferguson um, I wanted to comment on something you said during the previous half hour sure um, okay you know I don't take don't take me you know don't take this the wrong way because I believe we each have to find our own way that works for us mm. and you know Corey Ive has found his own way that works for him Roger Sales has found a way that works for him I found a, a, a completely different way that works for me but I noticed that during the last half hour there, um, you made the same mistake that I made, and this is where I ran into a lot of problems. For many years, I used the claim that I was a sovereign citizen. Sure. Um, and I, what I didn't realize was I was in serious error, because words are very important, and language is very important, and it was kind of a hard lesson for me to learn that you cannot be sovereign and be a citizen at the same time. You have to be one or the other. Uh, to claim you are a sovereign means you are independent of all others. You are one. You are not connected, you know, beyond your choices. Yeah, but l let's, okay, uh, Art, if I may interrupt there, you now claim you're a sovereign individual, okay, but I imagine you still get hustled for taxation. No, I don't. When you go into a store, do you not pay sales taxes? Sales tax are mandatory, yes. In income tax, I do not pay. What about sales property taxes? Sales taxes are based upon where you live. No, no, but what about, what, about, what about property taxes? I don't pay property taxes, no. Are you, are you renting? No. Wow. Yeah, and have you had any days in court to make your case? No. Right. We, you better, if you, ah, oh man, we, we have only got a few more minutes in this half hour break. I want to speak more with, with Wolf, but if you would email me, it's just ferg, F-E-R-G, at thestatelessman.com, your story. We can look to have you back on the show to discuss this topic more because I'm curious a little more about it and I, I want to examine it further. So, right, we're going to have to continue on, but thanks so much for your, your call, okay? All right. Excellent, excellent. So, Wolf, Getting back to, to the art, to you, the topic for this hour, though, I mean, what is the, what is your concern, though? I mean, I imagine you, you see this as I do, that these free trade agreements aren't really free trade agreements, that they're almost entrenching a, a form of cronyism or crony capitalism. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Fergus. And um, they are not only good. There's like some good and some bad in it. But I see this present-day um, transatlantic trade and investment partnership more positive because, let me name some things which are in it, they plan to get rid of um, tariffs and non-tariff barriers, for instance, the shape of bananas, these kinds of ridiculous <laughs> things, they try to get rid of that. Um, not sure like how much they will succeed, but at least that's their stated right. goal. Look, you look they, want, they want, for instance, another important thing is if mm. you... Um, have a car and this is approved in Germany, then you can automatically sell it in the US and that would be hugely beneficial. Of course, you have like some intellectual property, which I don't think adds any value to humankind, in my opinion. Sure. You have that also in there, but there's more good than bad in it. Right. And uh, to give you some data on this, Fergus, we okay. quickly, um, we're talking here about studies saying about like $200 billion annually will be added to the GDP of both, um, like, the United States and the European, uh, the Eurozone, as well as, like, 100 billion to the rest of the world. So there's, like, a lot of stake here, and um, that would benefit everybody. There is, there is a lot at stake. And I th one of the challenges is that this idea of comparative advantage, this theory that we all learn back in, I don't know, maybe Economics 101 or whatever, it's not so clear to the eye. Just so, so there are two, there are a few things you, you touched upon. And I want to add, extend upon this crony, cronyism and free trade agreements. Yes, the free trade agreements are far from ideal. Within them, there are some advantages, as you pointed out. And one of them, for example, the, the North American free trade agreement allows me to work in the United States, right? Because I'm a Canadian citizen, I can come and work in the United States. You also mentioned regulatory barriers. These are another, another form of protection that governments use that basically they'll make sales so difficult due to laws not to taxes or quotas that it might as well be a tax or quota because the the cost of compliance is so great um do you have a good way to explain comparative advantage when people say just we just can't compete you know we can't compete with the producers in mexico or the people in it almost goes both ways people think that poor countries can't compete and people here think they can't compete with the poor countries do you, do you want to explain what comparative advantage is and how that we can both win in that scenario yeah, sure. But first of all, I would like to point out how wonderful this is that you can work there. And our lives, like traveling, living somewhere else, producing value for other people, earning money, mm. is, it's an example of that, how wonderful these kinds of things work. And you have to look at the individuals and not like all at the numbers behind it. But well, think about how many people get wealthy because I of it. know. I, I think that the value to me is very difficult to measure, but it is great. I wish I could just go anywhere. I would like to go and live in Colombia, for example. But it still... That particular uh, freedom is greatly impeded, but I want to I want to let you continue. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, and comparative advantage means that you do not only win out when you are better in a trade, but trade by the def definition means that both parties benefit from a trade. It's mutually beneficial. Otherwise, they would not do it. And mm -hmm. that also implies that if you as a nation or as a person have like less skills than somebody else, you will be still be useful for this particular person. And I wish everybody would understand that and learn <laughs> about it. And we had like much many less problems in the world today, I believe. Sure, sure. We we we're we're going into the bottom of the hour, but Wolf, I really appreciate your presence and keep up the great work, okay? Thank you so much, Fergus. I love your show.
Welcome back to the Stateless Man. We have not been able to line up the planned guest, uh, Tom Bell, and I'm thinking there was just a miscommunication given the hours that he's out on the West Coast and it's still 7.48 or 7.30 uh, when we were supposed to go live out there, uh, which is really unfortunate. We're gonna, I'm going to get in touch with him and so we see if we can get him on a future show. But because we have the, the last clip and we, we had to cut short with Wolf, I'm inviting Wolf von Lahr uh, back onto the back onto the show because there's more that he has more to say. He's actually published a book, which is somewhat related to what I was discussing about alternative currencies or about the the nature of central banking right now and the free banking alternative. One of the key challenges with starting a new uh, region, the, the question of what currency are you going to use? Will you just let people decide what the currency, and that probably would mean they'd use the U.S. dollar or the Canadian dollar or something like that, or are you going to start a new currency? Or, yeah, I'm not sure what. Uh, but, Wolf, why don't you lay it out for us? What is the title of your book? Or I know it's in German, but the nearest title you, you've got in English, and what are you uh, arguing for or making the case for? Yeah, yes, Fergus. Uh, thanks for having me again. Um, the title of the book is Problems of the Established Central Banking System and free banking as an alternative, question mark. So I'm discussing alternatives. Mm. What, are the pro- I, what, are, what are the problems? So there are many problems with it, just to flesh out some. If you artificially lower um, interest rates and you increase the money supply, this gives wrong signals to the market. People invest more. People spend more. Mm. For a short time, this is good. So you will see a boom. Many more people are employed. Everybody is happy. And we saw that before 2007 in the United States and many other countries. But this is just paper or digital numbers. It's not real produced wealth, which is which is backed up by that. So they're increasing that, but this cannot be sustained because there are not enough resources in the economy. And at some point, there's a bust, and and you will have to go through a recession, which is basically the aftermath of the boom, and you should go through that to align prices to normal levels again to have like a sustainable economy. But that's not what they're doing. They're just increasing interest rates once again, pumping more money into the system, and keep up this bubble economy. That is not sustainable for us. Right. Well, one, of the, one of the biggest problems I see is that basically these fiat currencies are robbing savers because the way they artificially lower interest rates, as you mentioned, means that the people who are saving the money get less. And... Um, and I remember in New Zealand, too, there was this big claim that New Zealanders don't save enough, that we need a, a superannuation scheme, which inevitably came to be, unfortunately. And I was just thinking, uh, really? People don't save because the return on investment is basically zero, that the interest rate of around 3 or 4% and an inflation rate of around 3% means the actual real return is so low, the, the, the incentive to save is very little, given the, the, the sort of the time value preferences of money. Yeah. There, are many, there are many other problems. You could say there's an inflation tax, which I guess is related. But one of the I'm, – I'm a big fan of, you, you could say, letting people decide what currency they want to use. We actually had the former central bank governor of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand on the show a while back, and he's familiar with free banking. And he said that his own view is that people would not go and use Bitcoin, for example. They would just use the Australian dollar or the U.S. dollar, a fiat currency that's already in existence. What is your own take on that? What would actually arise spontaneously in the current scenario? 
That is a, that's a very good question to ask. And of course, I don't have a crystal ball. But I think what might occur is that if you give people the choice to select a currency, then they can do that. Maybe your, your prior guest is right and nobody would choose it. But that is mm. a perfect argument then to say, then let people choose. But at the moment, you are forced to use the, the US dollar, forced euro. If you come up with a different currency, that is actually forbidden. And to add like another very sad thing is, is the redistribution which occurs. Poor savers, all people, retirees, they are suffering because the government is printing money and injecting it into the economy. And banks are getting all the fresh new money because how the system is set up. And they can spend it before pricing the rising. They have the huge benefit of that. But people who are getting the money later, much later, they have seen prices already rising above that, what they're getting probably as income increases. And that is a huge redistribution effect. Right. What optimism do you have that they're actually, I mean, we see currencies failing all the time, but for whatever reason, it just seems like a, like a cycle. We just, currencies fail, and right now the Venezuelan currency, the Bolivar Fuerte, is likely to basically be going to out of, out of commission. But then we just have an, another fiat currency, like the, the revolution just starts all over again. What, why do we not learn from history? Because money is, is very complicated to understand, and that's the reason why I wrote this book. And my plan was to give like the simple arguments to somebody who not necessarily studied economics why mm. the system may be flawed. Right. And it would be just like a simple step to just allow people to come up with their own currencies. And we have seen that like in, in some local areas in Switzerland, for instance, or Bitcoin is another example. So I just hope that shows like yourselves... Um, inform people that there are like other options out there and come up with a different strategy to introduce a new system at some point. Because we have seen over 50 so-called fiat monies, money which is not backed by anything, but just mm. by the decree, by the fiat of government, will um, eventually fail. And that will happen again in the future. Now, Then there will at some point be just an opportunity to set come in and set something different up. Right. Well, there, there are a few points to add there. One is that people, I don't think realize how recent the the actual fiat currencies are that until 1971 for example the u.s still had some gold backing and prior to that even up until the 1930s for example canada did not even have a central bank so even though it seems to us right right now that central banks are just the status quo that's just the way it always has been and always will be that's not the case at all that private private money can exist and function well the other challenge, like which I guess I touched upon before, is that in order for the central bank fiat currencies to die away, in my view, you, you really need a superior alternative. And then you won't, there won't need to be a fight or political battle. People will just go and use that. Do you have any thoughts on whether uh, Bitcoin is that route or what, what may come next? Excuse me, I just dropped out for a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you have any thoughts on what, what may come next? That is to say that just like people can fight government education, I say I have no interest in it. The best, a best approach is basically to find uh, an alternative, right? And so you, you just make the previous government education redundant or obsolete. What is Bitcoin or are these digital cryptocurrencies, are they the next generation of currency do you, do you have great confidence in them to make conventional money or the orthodox money money at this point obsolete 
Um, not at the present moment. I think there's much excitement about it, and it's yeah. already useful, for instance, that you can get money out of a country which introduces many regulations, for instance. We saw that in Cyprus. And that helped out people on the margin, like a small step forward that. And I think there's like many, many innovation with so-called cryptocurrencies. So um, I think they, they can have an improvement, but it's not like the, at the moment it cannot replace really the monetary system um, at all. And most people don't even know about these tools. Right. There's a problem. And I want to see them grow, but we just have to be honest with the situation. That, right, as you say, most people don't even know about them. Yeah, but the present system is so bad and not sustainable <laughs> that at some point something has to come up differently. At the moment, it's just a player on the clock. You know, they they invest so much money into in banks and they get paid for just keeping the money into the system. That is that is the reason why we don't see like so massive inflation rates. But they cannot go on forever like that. And at some point, this money has to flow into the real economy. And then I don't want to be in the states or in other countries when this happens. Yeah, I'm not sure. People often have a, a dooms, doomsday or a doomsday outlook on this. I really don't know what's going to happen, but I will say that people don't realize the destructive impacts of a fiat currency unless it, unless it goes into an actual hyperinflationary realm, and then they become much more obvious. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong, Fergus. I, I'm on, on you there. I'm not a doomsdayer, and the system, like everybody said, like after the financial crisis, all will collapse in five years. I don't make such estimates. But history has taught us that eventually they will fail. And yeah. it will probably take another decade or so, and we cannot really say. But this uncertainty connected to the system is another reason why I argue against it, because it's so dangerous, and it affects everybody, because everybody has to use money. Mm. We do. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, we could talk about this for a long time. I'm trying to think how to wrap this up. Where can people get hold of your book? Is it going to be an English translation? I, I wish I would have written it in English in the, in the first place. I wrote an Istanbul, actually. Um, they can just go on my Twitter profile, um, at Wolf von Laar, that is B-O-N-L-A-E-R, and yeah, download it there for free. Right on. I, I, I've got to cut you off, so, but I appreciate you coming back on. I'll post that on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the stateless man. As always, I appreciate you listening, tuning in. Come back next week, folks. It's a pleasure to be speaking.